0: Welcome bent riders around the world, my name is Gary Solomon, and you're watching the Back Bike Report! I just couldn't be happier to have you all with us today for the show. Let me tell you what's on today's webcast. We're going to kick it off as usual with Hans Agala with uh, some recumbent news. Then we're going to uh, start one of our three uh, major guest segments. Really interesting stuff uh, this month. started off with our friend Barney Hall from the UK. And he's going to talk to us about human-powered flying in the UK. We're gonna then uh, drop uh, way down south uh, into the Pacific. Well, I guess Australia would be there. Uh, Steve Nurse is a uh, cycling author and he has uh, recently published a book called Cycling Zoo. And we're excited to talk to Steve about that. It is mostly about recumbents. And uh, Steve has also uh, sent us a few books to give away. So. Uh, Just a heads up, if you would like to be entered into this giveaway during uh, the show at any time until we get uh, done with Steve's segment, uh, just type into the comments, either on Facebook or on uh, YouTube, hashtag zoo. If you just do hashtag zoo, all lowercase, you will be entered into the contest. We'll pick uh, a few winners uh, later in the show. Then, uh, also from the UK, we have Alex Baines Buffery. Uh, he's an interesting fellow who home-built uh, a two-wheeled recumbent bike uh, that he calls Frank. Uh, so I think you'll be interested to see what, um, what Alex has put together. Uh, back for a regular segment is our pal, the Bicycle Man, Peter Stull. And he's going to show you how to fit a linear bike into a Honda Odyssey. Um, without removing any of uh, the center consoles. so that should prove interesting. Joseph Janning from uh, Germany, our Velomobile expert, is back with a review of Radical Design trailer uh, that he has attached to his Velos and shows you how he does the attachment and uh, kind of does a review of the trailer. Uh, an interesting segment, and then we're gonna. Finish it up with a viewer submission with a tracker who rode from Florida to Alaska. Really interesting, uh, a really interesting segment there. So, all right. Well, first, how about meeting our intrepid crew, the folks who make this show possible? There we go. First of all, uh, all the way from Salzgitter, Germany, it is Lars Kamm, our director today. Hi, Lars. Hey, guys. Nice to be here. And down in Jackson, Mississippi, it uh, it is our friend Trey Burgoyne who does the media. Hi, Trey. Hello, folks. Uh, we have uh, over in Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, Nina Paley, our retro futurist. Howdy. Hope it's not raining where y'all are. Thank you, Nina. And uh, in Alfred Station, New York, ensconced in his shop, it is the Bicycle Man, Peter Stahl himself. Hey, Peter. Hello. It's great to have you guys all with us. Thanks. All right. Let me talk briefly about how you can participate in this live webcast. If you're watching us right now on uh, YouTube or Facebook, just make a comment uh, and you can, uh, with that, tell us, please, where you are watching from. You can comment about the show, uh, any particular segment. You can t- chat with your fellow uh, bent riders uh, during the show. And uh, we would love to hear from you there. We'll pop a few of those up on the screen as the show goes on. If you're interested in supporting the laid-back Bike Report, we would love that. So, You can like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to us on our YouTube channel. And you can click that little white eye up there, take you right to the Laidback Bike Report website. And uh, of course, one of the best ways you can support us is by becoming a Patreon. You can do so for as little as $1 a month. Patreon.com. Just look up the Laidback Bike Report. We'll talk more about that at the end of the show. Now, the supporters of the show include our wonderful audience, and of course, these amazing businesses and uh, industry uh, notables, including TerraCycle, makers of exquisite recumbent parts and accessories for your bent, and Trailside Trikes, a fine recumbent trike shop on the Withlacoochee on the Withlacoochee Trail uh, in Florida, and. Cruise Bike, designed for the cyclist who wants to ride farther, climb faster, and adventure more. All cruise bikes and frame sets ship free in the USA. And TerraTrike Green Speed, the best in leisure, performance, adventure, touring, electric, and portability. Wherever your adventure leads, TerraTrike will take you there. And Green Speed, where Ian Sims designs bring performance through science and engineering. And of course, laidback cycles, the top USA dealer for TerraTrike and the premier source for CatTrike, Ice, and Greenspeed. We give you the freedom to ride. And of course, Recumbent CycleCon. Though we postponed the 2021 Recumbent CycleCon trade show and convention, please join us on October 8th and 9th of 2022 at the Montgomery County Fairgrounds in Dayton, Ohio. More information at RecumbentCycleCon. Com. All right, folks. Uh, let is, let us jump right into the show with a news report from Hansa. Hansa couldn't be with us today live, but he did record this segment. So L- Lars, let's have a listen.
1: Hello, everybody. Hansa Galaf from Recumbent.News here. Last month, uh, Terra has introduced their new Evo Trike. The Evo stands for electric vehicle option and it is their electric assisted trike it did have a bosch active line plus motor but this time they have improved the motor and they chose the bosch performance line and they still have the four 400 watt hours battery so it is a very nice trike electric assisted you can go to their web page you can check the availability there I have also published three articles about new types of velomobiles. Uh, some people doesn't like to call them velomobiles, some call them light electric assisted vehicles, or just like electric uh, vehicles. Doesn't matter. I see them as a uh, practical bikes for the de- uh, bikes for daily life. And uh, this time, all of them are four-wheelers. Two of them are two-seaters. And based on what I see on my webpage on the recommend. News, every time I, s- I publish an article about such vehicle, it uh, brings a lot of interest. Uh, people are very interested. And I hope that we really will see the momentum turning into something real, something what we will be able to buy, uh, to purchase, and we will start to see these kind of vehicles on the streets. So, this time it was the the AQ Hawk from Poland, from a company, from the Pima uh, Velomobile, the company producing the bikes at the moment. The second one, was the Gallop E from Akurad Lohmeyer, which is just a single seater and not very much information about uh, about it. And the last one is a beautiful one, a side-by-side tandem two-seater four-wheeler Kinner from Finland. This is very worth to watch. There is a video as well. Uh, It is in a prototype stage as well. But I really hope that these three will come to production sooner or later, as same as the others. So this is all from me for today. Uh, Have a nice evening. Uh, Have a nice rest of the laid-back bike report and... See you in a month latest. Bye-bye.
0: Thank you, Hansa. Appreciate that. All right, guys. We're going to move on to our uh, first guest segment in just a second, but I'm seeing in the live chat here, some of you are uh, entering the contest. And when I, meet, when I say hashtag zoo, Lars, could you share my uh, zoo screen so people can see? Right. So it needs to actually be that hashtag. And then all in lowercase Sue. If you've already typed it in, just type it again. It only takes; it will only take it one time, so no sense uh, repeating that. But if you haven't done it this way, go ahead and uh, and enter it in this fashion. I just want to make sure you guys, if you're interested, have a chance. So, all right, Lars, back to me, and I think uh, at this point. I'm gonna quickly introduce our first uh, guest segment. It's actually Barney Harl, who is uh, with the British Human Power Club and has recently gotten involved with human powered flight there in the UK. I think you're gonna really enjoy this uh, segment. So Lars, let's let's see Barney's video. I am here with Barney Harl in the UK and Barney is an esteemed member of the
2: British Human Power Club. Barney, how are you doing today? Fine. Not only the British Human Power Club, Gary, but now I'm also a member of the British Human Powered Flying Club. And um, I'm
0: so glad you mentioned that because that is what we're going to be talking about. This is the departure for us at the Laidback Back Report, and who better to guide us through this than Barney? So, Barney, if you are ready, why don't we go ahead and get to your presentation and let's let's see what this is all about.
2: So, thanks, Gary. Yeah, I mean, human powered flight—it's um, something many men have dreamed of, and The history of this goes back to the the, the successful history. This goes back to the 1960s. The first ever human powered flight was an aircraft called SUMPAC. SUMPAC stands for Southampton University Man-Powered Aircraft. Uh, Quite a a wonderful piece of engineering for the 60s. Um, If anybody's interested, there's a fabulous YouTube video of this, which is classically British and I think highly entertaining. Uh, It was flown in 1961, first time, by uh, a flying instructor called Derek Piggott. Um, I think we've got Derek on the next photo, haven't we? This is is how Derek loads into some pack. Um, And initially, his role had been to train young, fit cyclists how to fly. They found it easier to train Derek how to pedal hard than it was for Derek to train cyclists to fly. So Derek actually did it, he was the first man to do, great success. He was airborne for about 20 seconds. Um, I think the next one shows. Here he is, posing by the machine, a, a great British character, and many, many of today's pilots still have a laugh, and his name is still much vaunted in the circles of human power. So pack you can see how the aircraft was constructed. Aluminium frame, spruce bars, nylon-covered and fabric-covered wings. It really was a marvel of engineering. It was about 25 feet long, a wingspan of about 80 feet, and it weighed in in those days at 128 pounds, about 60 kilos. Realistically, the size of the aircraft hasn't changed. What's changed now is they've got a little bit lighter. The next big thing for me in my interest in this was the 70s. I wasn't around when Sunpack flew but I was around in the 70s when Gossamer Albatross flew. Uh, this this plane featured in all of the news reports, the interesting reports of the day in the 70s, the sort of thing that a, a kid who's in into engineering really was interested in. This is the first and the only plane ever to fly from England to France on purely human power. It, it was one of a number of the Gossamer planes. This was flown with an upright cyclist inside it, whereas even back in Sumpac days, they recognised the benefits of recumbent for creating a smaller pod. Um, this was one of a number of Gossamer aircraft, but I've got to say, as a, as a child of the 70s, this stuff absolutely amazed me. This plane, similar to Sunpack, was around a wingspan of 97 feet, yet it only weighed 70 pounds. So it lost about 60%, 40% of the weight. So really impressive. Um, But it flew in very close proximity to the water. And I think the next slide probably shows that. You know, this is is how close you get. Once you're off the ground, let's not waste any effort getting any higher. Let's keep going. And he was quite close to the water all the way across the channel. Interesting, and, you know, it looked very much like, cling film kitchen film stretched over some very thin and spindly ribs for me this is probably seminal moment in being interested in aircraft there's been a load of other stuff happen but the next thing that really sparked my interest was steamboat Willie, and steamboat Willie is a human powered hovercraft that was built in in university college london and i don't know what i a hovercraft is. Is it an aircraft? It gets off the ground, it suffers from gravity and it floats on a cushion of air. This was at the World Championships in 2008. I'd only just got into recumbent, and suddenly you're meeting people who are building and developing things like that and it, it was truly inspirational to meet the sort of people who do this stuff and the guys who were involved in Steamboat Willie were also involved in other aeronautical courses and aeronautical feats, and some of them were involved in setting up Icarus Cup. The Icarus Cup was an idea to get human-powered flying together on a, a, a basis across the UK, and a number of academics, a number of successful flyers got together, and they started a competition in 2011. And they invited anybody who could build an aircraft and fly it to come to that meeting. I, I've had the, the luxury and the pleasure to be a day visitor at those events a couple of times. And this year, I really invested the effort and I went down to the best part of a week, see the guys, not take part, but be a part of it, up close and personal with these planes. And it really was a wonderful opportunity. And it was great to meet these people who do this as their primary hobby, the way that we have as a primary hobby, recumbent racing. So the champion—it it is a championship. It's a racing event. People are challenged to fly a kilometre or a triangle or a slalom or a figure of eight. And they're, they're challenged in accuracy, taking off from the ground and landing within a certain distance of a spot. And what's different here is all the planes have to be human powered in their takeoff. You know, you, you could call a hang glider a human powered aircraft. A man carries it, runs down a hill and leaps into the air, but he's using gravity and the wind. These planes, literally, the guy winds it up on the ground, on the taxiway, and it's the force of the man pedalling it, and once it's away, it's up to him to keep it there in the air. This is one of the most successful sorts of planes that are flying in the UK. This is designed by professional aeronautical engineer, John Edgeley, and he He's designed a number of these planes, and this is Aerocycle Mark III flying. And it's very similar in its anatomy to the other aircrafts that you've seen. They're around about 80 foot wingspan, they're around about 30, 40 feet long. And these things are weighing in at uh, 100 pounds, a little bit less. Um, Rules of the competition these planes need to be human powered entirely they need to be capable of safely being controlled and they need to be able to be safely landed and for the purposes of flying these machines which are made of polystyrene and very thin films and dacron and mylar they need to limit their flight height to 50 feet or 15 meters now it doesn't sound like a lot most of us have been in aeroplanes that flown a lot higher than that but i tell you if you come from the air down to the ground, 50 feet is quite a long way to fall. So for safety purposes, it does seem like quite a good idea. Uh, Basic anatomy as you see it, very, very, very long wing, fabulously lightweight, leads to its flexibility. On the ground, that wing's horizontal. In flight, it, it creates a U shape and it bends. Just behind the wing, there's a propeller rotating around the main boom. And then at the rear, you have a very simple rudder and a very simple elevator. Uh, And the pilot flies it by pedaling and having a very, very small joystick. It's just even smaller than a games controller. And that's how the pilot alters those controls. His primary input is absolutely giving it his all on the pedals. So at the championships this year, we had two aerocycles. And a third machine, which was Lazarus a Southampton University. This is is an aerocycle in flight at Lasham Airfield, where the championships were held. In the background, that is a commercial airliner, but it's one that's been retired. It's on the ground at the end of the runway being recycled. And it it does create an interesting backdrop for photographs at times. Lazarus is the next iteration, if you like, of Southampton University's flying programme. It's not a university sponsored event. This is a student union sporting club and it's students who've picked up a project that was used with Guy Martin in 2012, 2013. Now, Guy is a a very interesting uh, character. He's worked with the BHPC as well. And he did a Channel 4 documentary series called Speed, during which he, he covered a number of items. He did the world's fastest tandem. I did the world's fastest sledge on snow, and he attempted to fly human powered. So the aircraft was used for that after the TV programme was abandoned. And a number of years later, a dedicated group of Southampton University aeronautical engineers picked up the project, took it on and said, let's have a go. Hence the name Lazarus. Um, It entirely down to the enthusiasm of those young people that this plane even exists, never mind that it actually flies. Um, They are very limited in their resources, but this plane, while we were at the Icarus Cup, it got a number of flights. And this one here is pre-Icarus, where they managed to get sort of two or three seconds off the air. At Icarus, they were aiming for, and they achieved a five second flight. That actually gives the team a thousand pounds prize from the Royal Aeronautical Society. That's more than three times what the Southampton University Students Union pay them as a sponsorship grant towards operating the club. So it really does give them, one, some real financial incentive to do it, and two, some finance to to support what they do as well as reward. This is Lazarus as it stands on land. You know, it's a, a wonderful craft. It's similar as we've said to the others 80 foot is sort of wingspan on it it weighs in i think at 40 kilos about 90 pounds it's easily carried by three men when it's moved on the ground but it's an absolute beast of a thing to operate and move around one of the interesting things is that the the outer wing tips must be the best part of 10 foot of the wing tip of each end can be popped off and it just makes it a little narrower To transport when walking it around an airfield. When you talk about the limits of engineering, those wingtips, when I was asked to remove one, I said, well, where's the pin? How do I unlock it? They said, you just slide it out. I said, but you fly with that wingtip in. Yeah, we just rely on the friction of the tubes as they bend against each other to hold the wingtips on. So not only flying in something made of polystyrene, balsa wood and cling film, It's actually held together with nothing more scientific than friction of tube on tube. These guys understand the engineering and the forces and things involved, but due to the limits I was explaining about the club and its finances and where it's come from, they've had to use what they inherited from the previous iteration of this aircraft. And that meant that there's just a sponsored bicycle hanging in it. That was the sponsored bicycle from the TV show. Uh, for them, they'd like to rebuild. And for me, I'd like to be involved with these guys. They were incredibly welcoming to a strange bloke who walked into the bar on the Wednesday night. And I got on well with these guys. So I'm hoping to help them out in future years and see some successes for them. Back to the competition in Icarus. There was a formal competition and two, two pilots competed over a number of events during the week the slalom, the, the timed one-kilometre trial, etc., And a chap called Kip Buchanan, fabulous pilot, wonderful skills, demonstrated the fastest time and the most accurate flying and took the championship away from a chap called Lewis Rowlandson. For me, it was great to see that, to see some human-powered flying. However, the greatest thing for me was seeing what's going on on this slide here. And this is Lewis riding an upright bike alongside David, who's a new pilot. There's the best part of a dozen new pilots learned to fly human-powered aircraft during Icarus this year. And that the spirit of it. Lewis, whilst he could be competing in an event, was actually putting the effort in, riding alongside these. Kit was doing similar, helping people out, putting them on simulators. And... The the joy of seeing a new pilot get out of that plane, having flown it under their own power, was incredible. Something I don't know if I'll ever achieve, but I got the buzz when I had to go on Steamboat Willie the Hovercraft, so I know the buzz that these guys were getting, and I could see just how impressed they were at having the opportunity to do this. This is, for me, the spirit of Icarus, and it was wonderful to see. Now, one of the great things about aerocycle is that it was designed by a professional engineer who is based in in flying. Now, this is Betterfly. This is a plane that at the minute isn't flying in the UK, but it's there, people are working on this. This was designed and built in 2015 by an engineer from a, a, a background elsewhere, motorsports called David Barford. And he built this so that he could fly. And it demonstrates what can still be done with that spirit of innovation and engineering um, very much a British sort of thing. But this is an opportunity. It demonstrates that a man in a shed can still do this. What's coming next? What What else is there in the UK? Well, the hope is that we'll have an Icarus Cup in 2022. The hope is that we'll have a, a cross-channel race and people are organising a new attempt to take on the Gossamer Albatross record. And I think that would be incredible to see. So whilst we're struggling in the UK to to raise more than three planes at the championship and we go back to things that we're doing in 2015, we have Japan. In Japan, there's a fabulous circuit here. And I think it's because the universities, unlike Southampton that leave it to the students to do for themselves, these students in Japan, it's a big part of the the university scene. A large number of universities take part in this. And they they create these planes, and they have wonderful championships. And I know that Gary's attempting to get some of the the Japanese guys to to talk, but they fly tens of kilometers. And I think Gary's might be able to put up a link, or if not, there's a link on YouTube, to a guy flying 60 kilometers in a Japanese plane. They'll often fly over water because they they see that as a safer method. If they crash, it's not quite as harsh as crashing on tarmac. They tend to be in recumbent positions, this chap is. And, you know, where they vary from the current UK market is they tend to have a propeller out front of the wing rather than behind it. Um, but very much, they believe in a recumbent, giving them a much smaller pod. The interesting thing was we, we went out to the pub one night after Southampton managed a three-second flight. And it was three seconds. Doesn't sound like a lot. But if you're on the ground with a GoPro chasing that plane while it's airborne for three seconds, it seems like quite a long time. That guy is in there. He's powering that plane, no doubt. We went out, we celebrated. Three seconds sounds nothing, but it led to a celebration. And after that, we sat and had a chat and we had a sketch. And what what can we do? And remarkably, we sketched roughly what a Japanese aircraft is. So, You know, amateur engineers, amateur cyclists, that looks very much like an optimum solution. Wow. One of these days, I hope that the money is there for those British universities to have a go at it, to to just put a bit of effort in and build a Japanese plane. Let's see 50 kilometers in Britain.
0: A great effort from the individuals, but there are small numbers of people around the world actually working on this, it would seem. And it would be great to see a, a larger effort going.
2: It, it would be wonderful to see a larger effort, Gary. But money, it, it does require a bit of carbon fiber. It does require the best quality Dacron. It does require some lightweight films. You also need to have a trailer. You need to have that ability to move this thing around. If you're going to work on it you you can't do it in an average garage universities have these facilities it would be fabulous to see the way that the australians have embraced the pedal power grand prix for tricycles the japanese have embraced pedal powered aircraft for their universities the royal royal aeronautical society to give them their due they put a thousand pounds up every year for formula flight they put three thousand pounds up for those who could do 15 seconds there is some incentive there and to see the guys get the five seconds at dawn on the Friday morning was wonderful. They felt like they'd won the World Cup. For those guys it was truly successful. You see the spirit of Battle Mountain? You, you know Gary, I'm involved in Battle Mountain teams and physically working on that as we speak. I'm hoping to be there myself. you know that is the holy Grail for me would be to get to Battle Mountain. I think I'd rather be in Battle Mountain than to fly a human powered aircraft.
0: All right. Well, we'll just leave that whole subject (laughs) up in the air, if you will. And I think we're going to close this interview out for now. But uh, Barney, thank you so much for uh, making the effort to uh, bring this very interesting uh, subject uh, to our viewers. And uh, we hope you'll continue to be our correspondent in these and other interesting building matters in the UK. So, Barney Harl, thank you so much.
2: Of course. Thank you, Gary. And I look forward one of these days we'll see each other again in person somewhere. That would be great. Thanks, Barney. Thank you.
0: Well, at least virtually we're <laughs> seeing each other again. Barney, hi. How are you? Good evening, Gary. It is great to have you. What a great segment. Very interesting stuff. Uh, A few things I I want to chat with you about. Uh, I want to invite, again, our audience, if you have questions or comments on what you just saw about uh, human-powered flight, please put them in the chat right now. And that includes uh, my panelists. If you guys are interested in talking uh, or have any questions or comments about it, it Looks like Nina says it was a great presentation. Put it in the private chat, guys. We'll pop you up there. So, uh, Barney. First of all, uh, our uh, good friend uh, Alan Goodman has commented here. Uh, we we talked about the Japanese team and folks. I will uh, I will post that link. Uh, they are making remarkable progress and have video of a guy that went like sixty kilometers. Uh, It's all there. It's not the most interesting video except the beginning and near the end, I guess. But it is an amazing achievement, and I think they are interested in competing with uh, you guys here in the future. Um, You want to pop that banner off for me, please, uh, Trey, and I'm going to then put Alan uh, comment up. Can we please have the Japanese guys? Because their accents will certainly be easier to cope with than Barney's.
2: Yeah. Alan's wife pointed out last weekend that we do a good double act. <laughs> you do. You guys are quite a team. So
0: <laughs> thank you, Alan. I'm glad you're watching. And uh, I will not uh, comment on that comment. So um, let's uh, go back up a little bit. I had a couple of questions. First of all, Annie, I think a comment answer as well uh, about ground effect. Uh, Barney, do you feel capable of talking about uh, ground effect? So let uh- people know what that is and such or if not, I'll...
2: I, I understand ground effect um to to some extent I'm not an aeronautical engineer but as the plane comes lower to the, to a surface a cushion of air is formed um and the Russians used it for flying things called Ekranoplans the where they flew very low to the ground and you get a, an effect um and spitfire pilots in world war 2 apparently used it to their benefit to to literally get machines home in pieces um Yes, although rumor has it that when Gossamer Albatross tried, they did find it easier to get slightly higher off the sea, that there was less interference in the wind at that level. So my
0: understanding, just very basically, I don't know the details, but it is an added amount of lift to the plane as it nears the actual ground. Is that... Fair. It
2: creates creates a cushion of air yeah. that makes it slightly easier to fly, yes. Right.
0: And may have something to do with the uh the velocity of the plane, though, too. And these this is pretty slow, so we don't really know, but it's a, that's a good point. Um here we go. How about rule cycle? Is flying in an e-assisted trike quad or maybe Velmobile with a light aircraft wing possible? Of course, you know we're gonna get this question. So what do you think, Barney?
2: Uh I'm not at all certain. It Apps, one of the most critical features is getting it light, lightweight. It, so once you start putting electric motors, once you start putting velomobile type technology in, you know some of these planes weigh less than some of the commercial velomobiles that are available these days. Yeah, yeah.
0: All right. Uh, one, of, how-
2: one of one of one of the questioners, I think it's Room Three Sixty asked about the the flying license. Yeah, situation. so I was going
0: there next. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. So the, these these. These planes are flown as what they call experimental wings. There are certain rules in the UK, and I I, I guess there will be in all parts of the world, where you can launch an experimental plane, and it's only being launched for test purposes. And the British Hang Gliding and Paragliding Club offer a a training license that gives third-party insurance. So our pilots fly under that designation, if you like. You don't need to be a qualified flyer.
0: Do you know anything about anyone who crossed the Mediterranean Sea with human power?
2: (laughs) I I don't. Good question. Okay. Um, And I noticed one or two guys mentioning the original Icarus, the the Greek mythology. But yes, there there have been a number of flights elsewhere in the world. It's not my primary hobby. So I I don't pretend to be the, the font of all knowledge on this one.
0: Dave Holiday. Daft lateral thinking, could a roll up wing with tension stiffening, like an old magician's collapsing wands work to deal with the storing and transport and transporting high uh, aspect ratio wings?
2: There's all sorts of ideas being used. Um, so some of the pioneers even tried inflatable wings. Right, there, right. There, there's many, many ways to, to come up with a solution.
0: Lars, you want to bring Trey up? I think Trey has a question here for Barney as well. Trey, Uh, yeah, go ahead. You had a question. Do do y'all
3: track how many watts the rider is generating to sustain level flight?
2: Sorry, didn't get the full question.
3: So, how many watts is the rider generating to sustain level flight?
2: I, I believe it's around the 300 watt mark. Um, they were struggling to get airborne. They're producing peaks well in excess of 700 for the first few seconds to get them off the ground. Um, And according to what we were trying on the simulator, it looked like 250, 300, 350 watts being sustainable. And people were flying while we were there. Uh, There's Lewis's comment at five watts per kilogram. Is Lewis
0: Lewis a member of the club? He's made some good
2: comments here and answered some (laughs) questions. Lewis is on a number of those photos. That, that okay, Lewis right. Lewis who is on the upright bike following David. Thank you slide. for joining
0: us, Lewis. Excellent. We Thanks, it. Lewis. All right. Yes, there's another historical uh, <laughs> uh, response. So very good. All right. I think that's probably where we're going to leave it. Uh, Barney, any final thoughts uh, as you go?
2: No. If anybody wants to sponsor a human-powered plane in Britain, You know where the money would go. They would all enjoy it fabulously. All right.
0: Well, Barney Harrell, thank you. I understood you perfectly, so I don't know what Alan's talking about. Uh, So please, you're welcome to come back anytime. We look forward to the next subject you're going to cover for us. Uh, We hope to see you soon.
2: I hope to be stateside next year. Sounds good.
0: Thanks, Barney. All right, folks, let's move along. Uh, Again, this next segment is going to be Steve Nurse, the author of Cycle Zoo. We've had quite a few entries already, but if you're joining us a little late, if you type in, as you see there, hashtag ZOO, all in lowercase, you will be entered into the drawing. We've only got 14 entries so far, so your chances are pretty good. We're going to give away three books. So uh, please uh, type in hashtag ZOO Uh, in the chat, either on Facebook or YouTube, and you will be entered. And we will make that drawing after uh, we end up talking to Steve at the end of his video here. So we hope you'll take advantage of that. So let's uh, go ahead and get started and see what Steve had to say about uh, his thoughts about the book and recumbent cycling in general. Lars? I am here with Steve Nurse. He is engineer, author, and Bent Rider, and we are down in Melbourne, Australia, to visit Steve. Steve, how are you today?
3: Uh, very well. I don't think you could quite visit us today because of coronavirus, but you know, we're we're communicating virtually, and that um
0: that's what counts. Virtual visits is what we do on the laid-back bike report. So welcome to the yep. show, Steve. And uh let's start out if we could. With uh, an introduction, could you tell the audience a little bit uh, about yourself, your background, and uh, the intersection of your life and recumbent bikes?
3: Um, I've I've been an engineer for all uh, for all my life. That's that's been my profession, and um, I'm nearing retirement age, and um, really only working intermittently now. Um, uh, but I still do a lot of work on recumbent bikes. I, I started building recumbents in about um, 1987, and I was in Germany at the time, and it took me a long time to get anything useful, but after about 10 years, I had something that I could ride about 200 kilometres, and I've kept on with my own home builds and just um, developed them since then. And And, and I've had a a proper engineering career, uh, mainly in electric motors, but also pumps, um, printing machines, uh, roto moulding, all, all sorts of things. More recently, it's been my career. I've had jobs in uh, um, researching recumbent bikes. So, yeah, it's been good.
0: All right, Steve, great. And as I mentioned earlier, you are also an author, and I think we're going to focus your presentation around your book, but uh, you have a number of things to talk about here. You mentioned uh, motors, something that you worked on earlier, and I think that's uh, where we're going to kick it off. Uh, yeah, so
3: this is one of the motors I was in involved with. Um, this motor is about the size of a loaf of bread, but um, I've – I worked on a lot of aspects on the, on this particular motor. I designed the uh, plastic box on the top and the rubber resilient mount, and then the the base of it is um, laser cut. So I did a two D drawing for that. Um, so generally, I know my way around these um, things reasonably well. I, I mentioned being involved with bikes, so this this is. My um, sort of bike engineering background, that um, these books were around at the time when I was starting to build bikes more seriously from about 1994 to 2003, all these were out. And the next slide shows just one particular bike, um, which is a Bevo bike. And you, I, I would see these books so often that they would sort of get stuck in my imagination. And um, this, this bike's front wheel drive, but it's also direct drive. Um, there's no pulley on the drive side between the um, the crank and the and the wheel. Um, and Quite a bit later on. Um, if we go to the next slide, I sort of, I sort of worked out for a lot of bikes um, what the stresses in the frame might be because of the chain, and um, I've I've done this sort of diagram for quite a few bikes. This is one of the bikes that I built, um, sort of probably about ten years ago. You know, one I would have done. 200k rides on and um, yeah, I'm just sort of starting to establish a sort of a template for things that I've built. It's, it's front wheel drive and you'll see that my knees are up in between uh, the part, parts of the steering and, and so you can't turn a lot when you're pedalling and if you did turn a lot, the chain would come off. So a lot of my building's been complemented by doing racing with recumbents and then just social riding, um, so this is on on the trikes on the rec, on, on the recumbents are um, Alan Ball and Robert Waresack, my friend, and and like this is just interesting. It's it's at a tweed ride right? and and there's um, you know sort of ancient history of 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 trikes and. Bikes and modern history, and it's all there in the one photo. So the Bevo bike was one of my uh, influences of um, of recumbents, and um, Vive Wong, who's who's from the US, from California, um, he's another one of my influences, and he um, made a, a lot of these sort of Python trikes, but he's not really interested in refinement, and so he. Makes things that he just drives around, and he films them, and he gets, I think some of his videos get hits in the millions, or you know very, very many. So he's got he's got very interesting ideas, um, but he never takes them terribly, terribly far. And and this video sort of got under my skin, um, as well, and I wanted to build something like what he does. These are the first set of wheels that I made that would, um, suit, suit, uh, a, um, tri- a leaning trike that works on the principle of one of Vai Wong's Vi trikes. I'm an engineer and this was put it together in a very random way. And you, you can get pedal shafts. The wheels aren't the same as each other and it's sort of just a bit of an engineering mess. Um, and you couldn't do it in production because it's yeah but i I've, I've got with me here um my so m- my design solution for that and i got about um 30 or 40 of these made um once you're set up to make something like this with an nc uh you you can just go for it and the you know, the last ones cost very little more than the the first one. So I'm I'm still using these, I'm almost running out, but I've, I use these with um through axle 16 and 20 inch wheels, which you can get. So my very first experiment making a Vuong trike was um, like this. And you can see what the frame of the trike is. It's it's sort of just a plank of wood and there's not that much more sophisticated about it. You, you drill a few holes in it and then you also need um, steel or other reinforcements where the bearings are so the um, yeah things don't rip apart. The box is a combined seat and tail box and it's aerodynamic and it carries luggage and I, I still use virtually exactly the same thing today, slightly more refined This is my shop where I'm doing some of the building. So I've got a shed where I keep all my parts, but it's can't take things like this in it. So all my buildings outside, I've got a few verandas and stuff I can put things under so that when it rains, things don't get wet. That's actually riding the first trike, that that trike, which was all in process, Um, and it... It was quite surprising that it worked as well as it did. It worked, worked almost straight away. This trike's got long uh, axles holding up the back wheels, and I've made them a lot shorter on trikes that I use these days. But you can just buy unicycle cranks off the shelf and you just use it. Over several years, I've refined things. And so I actually got a chance to study and do work on this sort of trike as an industrial design master's degree. So that was sort of almost full-time designing trikes. and so this is sort of like the end the end product. Yeah, so I didn't stop with that trike. It wasn't enough that I just got it working. I had to sort of had an itch to scratch and I wanted to make that um, make that better. And so, about maybe five or six years later, this is a, a, a more refined product. Um, it's it's made out of timber again, and the whole thing is this whole thing is made from NC routed four mil plywood. Um, and and you can see there's a white core flute panel there, but. But you can swap that out and um, you can have uh, cloth material so you can make it sort of look whatever you like or you can have timber so it's all timber. When I got it sort of refined to this level, I put it up on the um, Thingiverse website. So there are plans for that and for free and you can just, you can build it if you're motivated and you have um, enough equipment or if your friends have got enough equipment. And then alongside the the development of this timber version. I also did an aluminium frame version, um, which honestly, I've written the aluminium one quite a bit more. You can tell from the, you know, just just the sort of sample that I've shown, maybe three or four different um, machines, but I've built it. I've built a lot more, and look, I accumulated a lot of knowledge, and I just thought, I just thought, look. There's so many people who don't see recumbents very often, and they would have no idea. I've got my head in it all the time, and I've sort of got something, you know, some knowledge, and I read all the old books and stuff, and and so I decided to put a book out, and um, I myself published um, the one with the white cover that's in that's in the slide. Um, that was about ten years ago, and then just kept on accumulating more knowledge and I th- thought that there was a time a- another time you know about two years ago oh, I can do it again I can update the book and I can uh, make it a bit better than the first one maybe I could distribute it a bit better and um, so I, I put out another version and that's only been out about um two months
0: well that's just great uh, Steve how interesting I've read the book It's uh, it's quite a tome. It's it's very comprehensive, uh, lots of practical information, good stories. Uh, I I think uh, anyone who has any inclination towards bicycles and especially recumbents uh, will get a lot out of uh, out of cycle zoo. What is your advice to the new tinkerer, the guy who sees uh, you uh, uh, today and says, you know, I'd like to try something like that. Uh, how do you get started? Three D printing sort of really very accessible,
3: and I use three D printing to make little models and also to make act make actual bike parts. The printer I've got is about four hundred dollars or something like that, and it can really you you really
0: don't you just need a room in your house. You have a section yeah, in your book. Steve, about your shop, like and how it yeah you know, and the equipment and such. Did you want to say something about that?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So I, like I've I've built my shed up over over a while, over a fair while. You want to buy the best the best set of tools you can afford. Um, but also just work on normal bikes too, because um i you know I see a few students at uni who are um who have started on bike projects or recumbent bike projects, and they don't know what their way around a normal bike so if you've fixed about a hundred normal bikes for charity or for yourself, then you're that's a good start to going on the way of the recumbent because then. If you then want to go off on a tangent somewhere and go, oh, I don't want to do this. That's the way it is on a bike, but no, uh-uh. I'm going to do something special here. Then at least you've got that experience the way it it normally works, and you might have an idea how to um, take it to the next take it to the next step.
0: Why do you consider recumbent uh, bikes and trikes to be such uh, a good platform? For experimentation and development uh, in, in the bike world,
3: the main thing is that it hasn't been done before, and that they're not so they're not so accessible. So, um, you know, secondhand bikes, uh, at least in Melbourne, that they can be very cheap if they're if they haven't been fixed up, um, and there's really no challenge in building one um, because you. I mean, there's there's a challenge. You can build one, but it's just a purely technical challenge. Um, when you get to the end and you've built you've built your standard bicycle, you've got something that you could have gone down to Kmart and bought for two hundred dollars. And yours is probably worse than that. And the one you've built. And so that you know oh you sort of go well what's the point but then you go through the process with a a recumbent bike and you there's still some space there um to do something different and to um you know to to evolve things and to and to move things on and so it It You know, there are rewards, and I'm still finding things that I can do that are
0: different, and I enjoy doing them. My next question has to do with a more specific thing, uh, development that you talked about in in the book that I was intrigued by. Maybe you can expand on this a bit. You mentioned something about, uh, in in creative ways of of designing and building, uh, of using a Velomobile shell as a battery. Now uh, you 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 talked about <laughs> using motors and such. I was just kind of intrigued by that uh, that concept. Can you talk a little bit more about that?
3: What they want to do with electric aeroplanes is to um, have the shell of the aeroplane, which is already composite materials in some, but they want to have that as a as a battery storage as well. And so they want to save some of the. Dead weight of the battery and have it doing um, an extra job, and so I just talk about some of these technologies like like that and like big three D printers and say, look, we've got to you've got to put these into Velomobiles, make them exciting, you know, for researchers. And the other thing is that they're really simple applications, and Velomobiles aren't going to fall out of the sky, is it the s- Sun trip, the mm-hmm. solar rally. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, there's a big rally just finished in Europe. Europe and, yes.
0: mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, and they combine um, different vehicles um, with with solar and with electric and, you know, have interesting outcomes. There's a wide variety of vehicles in, in that space already. And um, so, yeah, it'd be good if you know, things got shooken up a bit, and some of the most advanced um, materials and technologies got got put into the VeloMobiles.
0: All right, well, let's finish up uh, with uh, what is next for Steve Nurse. I'm building
3: an interesting rear suspension at the moment, and the the rear fork slides into the um, tube of the uh, bike. Um, the frame is. The frame is just one aluminium beam. Um, yeah, so the rear fork slides into that and it's got a couple of uh, suspension elastomers. So I'm, I'm working on that. And um, if you click on the links on the YouTube video, um, you should be able to see some of that development.
0: That's great. And we're going to have all those links in the description below here for uh, Steve and his book and uh, some of the things that he's talked about. But, Well, Steve, thank you so much for taking time out uh, to share your thoughts uh, and your publications and your ideas uh, with the Laidback Black Report.
3: Okay, thank you, Gary.
1: Yep,
0: here it is. And there he is. Hello, Steve. Hi, Steve. Hi, how are you? Good, good, Steve. Uh, folks, you, you will know uh, if you know anything about the time zones uh, that Steve is up in the middle of the night, practically, uh, to join us live today, which we really appreciate. Steve, I'm just going to uh, have we, – we pretty well covered everything in the video, but uh, Alex, I think, has a question. He's a fellow builder, and he has a quick question. Lars, can you pop Alex up for us and let uh – and in the meantime, folks, while Alex is asking his questions, your last chance, hashtag lowercase z-o-o, right there, do it. And you will be entered in a couple minutes. We're gonna do our drawing. So Alex, go ahead and ask uh, Steve a question.
4: Uh, hi, Steve. Yeah, I, I just hi. was interested that a lot of your bikes seem to be wooden construction. And I wondered if that was from an engineering perspective or a sort of environmental perspective. Um, Why do you use wood?
3: It's it's a bit more of an engineering challenge. Um, I guess I'm, you know, I'm just sort of like flexing a few muscles to, you know, design muscles to try the uh, whole frame out of wood. But what I've making. yeah, you can um, N C route it and sort of put it together like a three D jigsaw puzzle. Um, so that's that's quite a quite a bit of fun. Um, so yeah, you can go too far with wood, like some people try to make like wooden ball bearings. And careful like there now,
0: Steve. We we <laughs> haven't seen Alex's segment yet, so be careful what you say. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, it's 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 an interesting challenge
3: um yeah i'm not sure i'd want to ride one you know like make one and ride one on the road all the time particularly when it's wet but it's um yeah it's a good
0: thing to do
4: <laughs> well hopefully you'll like my uh my bike you might see
0: in a minute you will be seeing that man yeah. thanks for the question <laughs> alex we'll see you in, in a couple of minutes here all right so i think at this time uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, and do the giveaway so uh, but just to uh, let my panelists know, if you're a part of the laid back bike report, no, I don't care if we draw your name, you're not getting the book. So um, other than that, uh, if you're in the uh, if you're in North America, we should be able to uh, mail you this if you're uh, elsewhere and you win. We'll. Uh, Steve and I have talked. We'll do our best to see. Maybe we can get to the ebook or something. We'll do what we can for you. So, in any case, uh, yeah, I like that shot, Lars. Let's go. No, go ahead. I, I think it's okay to have. A, but yeah, that's great. Um, then you can uh, get our reactions. Steve, I'm sure we'll have a very animated reaction for five o'clock in the morning. Uh, we're going to go ahead and draw for our first winner for the Cycle Zoo book. Here we go. Are, We're pushing are, the edges a, of technology here. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> so. Stefan Hogberg. Okay. Stefan, congratulations. He is our first winner. Uh, Stefan, if you will uh, contact us at uh, laidbackbikereport at gmail.com. Uh, and give us your particulars uh i will i will get back to you and we'll see if we can work out something about getting you uh, that first book and so, uh, all right congratulations and let's go ahead and draw for book number two here we go um so the book
3: costs about um forty dollars but there's an ebook which is much closer to ten dollars and there's technology in the ebook which makes it
0: um, a good and accessible good. So, if you aren't a winner today, like Ed Retzler is, then uh, you can go <laughs> ahead. Of course, we encourage you to purchase or uh, either E, e or, the, or the physical book. Congratulations, Ed, and thank you for uh, for trying the contest up here. And uh, again, Ed report at gmail.com. And uh, we will be in touch and see if we can send you a book. And here we go. This will be our last winner today for the Cycle Zoo book from Steve Nurse. Look at all those people rolling through. Chris Tarugo. Okay, Chris. Congratulations to you. And uh, one more time, laidbackbikereport at gmail.com. So send me an email uh, if you are one of our three winners, and uh, we will see about getting you uh, Steve Nurse's book. So, all right, if you'll just two-shot us then again, uh, Lars, as we say goodbye. Steve, any final words? Uh, no, just
3: um, have, have fun building recumbent bikes, and I'm always um, riding I'm a prolific blogger, and I'm always writing about different things, um, fixing old bikes and making my new designs, and making designs that aren't recumbent bikes at all. So,
0: yeah, we will keep um, watching and keep, uh, yeah, keep keep up with the books. We we look forward to maybe your next project. There, uh, you just got done with this one, so. Uh, but Steve, it's been a pleasure getting a chance to to know you a little bit, and uh, I know we'll be back in touch soon. Okay. Thanks very much, Gary. All right. Bye-bye, <laughs> Steve. All right. So let me get back to my script here. We will be now moving along uh, to our third guest, uh, which uh, you briefly uh, you briefly saw Alex a minute ago. He's got a build of his own to talk about. And so I think uh, uh, we'll just go ahead and, and see that right now. Lars? We are here with... Alex Baines Buffery from the UK. How are you today, Alex? Hi Gary, I'm very well, thank you. We are so glad to have you with us now. Alex is a uh, recumbent builder enthusiast, and he has put together a really an interesting bike that I think you guys are going to like. Um, If we could, before we take a look at the bike, Alex, tell us a little bit about uh, how you came upon recumbents and how they fit into your life so far. Uh, So I think um, when I was at university,
4: I found a video about the um, human powered airplanes and just ended up going down the rabbit hole, realizing there was this whole world of human powered vehicles and was just totally fascinated by the idea that you could get up to so much speed under just muscle power alone. And then I realized, that you could actually buy um, recumbents recumbent bikes and I've desperately wanted one for a long time but unfortunately just other things like buying a house and having children um, got in the way and um, one day I I had I, I built furniture I built an e-bike and retrofitted a motor to it and i just decided that i could slam those two skill sets together and build my own wooden recumbent um and so yeah it was for me it was a very um a cheap way of getting into the sport
0: basically very good well i think what we need to do next is actually take a look at what you built you've done a nice description on this little video here let's have a look at what you described
4: So this is the overall bike. Um, As you can see it's quite compact. Uh, It was designed so that I could throw it in the back of a car. um, It's constructed as a wooden box. I've kept the top open because I like having a glove box where I can leave tools to fix it when we're going around. Um, A few weird things I did. At the back you can see there's just a block of wood where the brakes are hanging off. Um, I've got this really cool... 3x7 uh, satch hub and I read online that you can make them asymmetrical and it will stiffen the bike up so I decided to do that just to see if it would work and it did um, but obviously means that the front and rear wheels are not in line they're actually slightly offline but I've never found it a problem um, I decided to run the cables into the frame to make it a bit more aerodynamic and uh it's worked really well um i bought some cheap chinese carbon fiber forks off the internet and they're also working well although i did find it was best to mount them backwards i got a nice uh quality front wheel off um uh, from germany and the back wheel is one that i stole from my original recumbent bike that i broke um You can see that it's basically a sandwich construction. It's just lots of bits of plywood stuck together, um, which I think means it would make an excellent thing to be CNC routed. And then the boom is a box. And because of the width of the box, it's very stiff. Um, The whole bike is actually a slightly banana-shaped. Um, that's something that I wasn't able to control for when I was building, but it actually works quite well because the banana, you're pushing against the banana shape. So it seems to have increased stiffness, although I'm not sure. You can see how I just quickly used a front chain thing to manage the chain onto the chain ring because it was falling off initially. That has worked quite well though. It makes quite a lot of noise. Um, down here. I uh, I bought this uh, this from Holland, it's a proper thing, although I gather you can get them off weights machinery. And then I was still losing the chain occasionally, but I managed to sort that out by just putting a jockey wheel here. Um and then that's it. This is the uh chain ring set that I stole from my original road bike. And uh that's it, it's got good front brakes, terrible back brakes, and uh <laughs> There's a whole steering system over there that you can see I've cobbled together from other parts and put on some nice curly handlebars. So that's about it. Thank you.
0: Very good. Very good, Alex. So (laughs) let's, uh, if we could, at this point, take a step back and let's see how you put this all together. So
4: basically, uh, my background is I'm a a TV researcher in factual TV, so I'm, I'm quite good at trolling the Internet and finding things. And I, I realized that, uh, well, I, I wondered if anybody had ever made a plywood recumbent before. And the, the reason why I wanted to make it out of plywood is, A, I don't weld, uh, which is quite important. And b) I uh, I didn't want to weld because I have a two-year-old and a six-year-old in my house. and I, don't know how many of you guys have been to Britain, but we tend to live in quite tiny houses by American standards. So there would definitely be a child coming around the corner, looking at the um, arc welder and blinding themselves. Um, so I found this guy, um, and it's it's been made by a guy called David, who's in Holland, and he actually constructed this thing when he was a teenager. Um, and wrote it for years until he eventually broke it um, and I, I managed to find him. He's now, we're roughly the same age and he's a professional engineer so he Based on that bike and some other bikes he's designed, because he he does this properly, makes carbon fibre things, he threw together a design for a recumbent for me. This is it. It's a, a wonderful thing. I, I gave him a few criteria or said what I needed. And um, one of the things we do is, uh, my family, we personally don't own a motor vehicle, but we use something called Enterprise Car Club which means that quite often i will rent a small hatchback car by the hour or for a day and i knew that if i was going to race this machine it would have to go in a small car Um, and ideally i'd want to just throw it in so what i what i do now the bike's built is just move the passenger seat forward a bit put the back seats down and then throw the bike in Um, which is why it has two small wheels Um, and we, I did want it to be fast, which is why it's got an extremely aggressive uh, sort of ride position. And then the other thing was we wanted it to be really simple to build. Um, and the idea is that we've created a Facebook group and anybody can use this design and construct, sort of follow along and construct their own bike. So this is our electric cargo bike. This is how my family typically get around. Um, and so I, I viewed the recumbent as something that I might be able to race but also uh, something that would kind of stack on top of our cargo bike as a transport solution so this is pretty much our car but it lives locally in our town it very rarely goes beyond the next two towns from our house and uh, what I wanted was when I didn't have the kids with me something that would enable me to zip across to Leatherhead my next town very fast um and so that was also part of the impetus for building the bike so uh this is a uh, just a picture to prove that the bike was made of wood this is ultimately what it ended up looking like uh just prior to painting just to establish that it it was a uh a bike made of plywood this is my old recumbent um she has an amazing pedigree it's actually won the uh british human power championships i believe in the 90s um so before i uh built my bike my original cheapskate entrance into the world of recumbent cycling was to buy this but unfortunately i'm a much uh, fatter man than i think the guy who built that so even after getting my brother-in-law who's an excellent bike mechanic to help me get that bike going uh, i managed to ride it out to leatherhead the next town and um on the way to get the car crack it in half because uh, the middle sort of pipe that held my weight wasn't quite strong enough so sadly I've got this fantastic machine in my garage uh not quite in two parts but not really working um but what I did manage to get from that bike was uh the back wheel and some really good ideas about how to get a recumbent moving um fast and this is um just to establish my uh previous uh, construction skills this is some garden furniture that i've made and you might be able to tell when you see the the finished product of the recumbent that it's exactly the same color because i use what the paint that was left from that job on the bike thanks uh yeah this is also just some other i am i'm quite into um building eco projects so i've built like a solar powered heating um air heating system and uh, these are some solar cookers that i've produced so the, the bike is sort of very much in the mold of these things yeah uh, this is a picture to show that the bike does actually fulfill one of its uh, design brief things it goes into the into a car you can see the uh the boot on the higher car does in fact close so job done this uh, is just a, an image I put in to demonstrate that David, the proper engineer, did actually check. And um, there was some really good kind of design going in and he used software to make sure that it was actually strong enough to use. I thought I'd add this just in case anybody decides they want to follow in our footsteps. But the, the critical thing that makes this possible is the adhesives have just got incredibly good. So you now actually don't need an enormous area of wood to be stuck together for it to be able to hold the weight of a, a human. I'm, I don't know if you guys work in pounds but I'm I'm a hun- over 100 kgs or um, 16 stone in British and it just amazes me that wood glues have got good enough now that um, I can trust my life to it. This is uh, my old robot that I've had for years and uh, adored but I decided that um, I could build something faster and part of the joy of this was wanting to spend about half as much money as I spent on that bike and get something that would go faster. And we were slightly limited, I think we're up to 13 bikes now in this household. So I knew that if I was going to have another bike, this one would probably have to go or find a new home anyway. And so this is one of at least two bikes that gave its life. Um, this is uh, to basically shows you how the bike is constructed. You can see a head tube. Um, glued into uh, two blocks of wood, and that is the basic shape of the bike—the the, pro- the side of the um, the sort of body of it. And and it's just—it was just literally cut on our kitchen table using a jigsaw, and then glued up. And you can just about see the bottom bracket um, glued up in the bottom bracket block on the front of the boom. So here's another close up just to show the uh, the bottom bracket glued in. And um, yeah, at various points, um, different parts of the bike were secreted in parts of our house, gluing in places where hopefully the children wouldn't find them. Uh, This is a thing to just show, because of the way it was constructed, Um, a lot of the panels ended up having to be individually cut out and marked off. So you can just see where the head tube goes in and where the forks connect to the body. And then there's another block there that sort of in the middle of the bike supporting my weight because of the way the sandwiches were all, some you know sometimes I was gluing around a, a sort of a tube and so uh, I had to sort of individually draw around these and I worked out the easiest way to do that was literally just to cut up cardboard and make a kind of template and then use that template to create the small panels that would infill the top and bottom of the box. I discovered that um I hadn't quite followed David's design perfectly. So when I eventually came to add the um, the legs at the back of the turkey, that um, my wheel couldn't go where he had suggested. So in the end, I got, I sort of channeled my A-level arts um, and just had to sort of lie it out on my lawn and work out where I wanted it. And this is um, me placing it. You can also see that, I've acquired some chain stays and is the other bar called a seat stay? Um, and that's because another bike at this point had to give up its life. I decided I didn't want to fabricate the dropouts. So even though it added quite a lot of weight, um, cutting up an old steel mountain bike, I ended up using the forks and just trying to have a larger surface area to glue. But this was really me just losing my bottle basically and not trusting, uh, David's design work, which I'm sure is excellent, but uh, it was a combination of also my handiwork not being fully trusted. Yeah, here's another photo just to show that it's literally just cheap hand clamps that you can buy in any DIY store, squeezing the glue together and making it all solid. Um, and then here's, so uh, you can see where I'm going to come, the um, head tube glued in place. And you can also see the the squeeze out. Um, it was quite good to get a glue that does this foaming business, so it will fill up any pockets at the last moment. You you might be able to remember the the back legs of the of the original design were quite thin and small, and uh, just in the end, I just couldn't trust that quite such a small contact area would hold my weight, and being a bit of a patty Anyway, I decided I could probably carry the extra bike weight so what I got was some corrugated plastic and stuck it to the side of the bike and this actually helped me or allowed me to sort of affect the design of the bike a bit and style it like I, d- I decided I quite like that blunt back end so that and it's sitting in our homemade jig that I cobbled together. This is the the final bit it's the the back legs kind of getting stuck on the bike. Um, I ended up having to Uh, put them in place drill pilot holes uh, take them out glue it go back in and then um, drill um, sort of screw screw them back on but it's it's all worked fine and a lot of people or I think there's only four people who've made these bikes before me but they've all chosen to expose the wood Um, But in the end, I just didn't trust myself not to take it out in the rain. It was raining quite a lot by the time I would got to the stage and I had some paint left over from when I built my garden furniture. So I just whacked a coat on knowing that um, I would invariably end up riding it in the rain. And um, somebody who made one before me found that when they, they rode it in the rain, it basically expanded and then they couldn't ride their bike anymore because they couldn't reach the pedals once the bike had expanded. And then um this is obviously the finished product. No, it's done. Um, no, it's not. It's, uh, <laughs> it's somebody else who's made a uh, plywood bike that looks much nicer than mine. Um, but I just wanted to include it so that people realize that this is a really fast bike as well, um, that they can run really well and be made really beautifully, or they can be thrown together as quick as you can in your kitchen, your backyard, uh, like I did. And then um finally, it's, it is an open source project, and uh, we have put the designs out for anyone's copy. And I've just submitted this because there is somebody else currently building one of these bikes. Uh, I think they've changed the design quite a lot. I think they're doing a, an inbuilt rear fairing, but it's great. Uh, they're following along. They're using a very similar construction method, and I'm really excited to see what other bikes get built. And I'm hoping that one day I can race somebody else who's using a very large clog like me. Oh, and uh, and that's a picture of the final article.
0: Well, there we go. Uh, very nice, um, <laughs> Alex. That's great. Uh, I love I love the way that you just put stuff together. And this is not something you uh, that you've been doing for a ton of years. But you you have some really good insights, obviously, and you know how to make things work, which I think is is the key to this whole thing. Did you name this bike? yeah
4: it's called frank because it's green and it has bolts sticking out of it so it's frankenstein um but it's also because <laughs> it's made from the the dead body parts of other bicycles um but yeah i mean it's i i don't know enough yet about i i have ridden uh factory built recumbents and they're lovely. Um, but I haven't ridden them enough to know how Frank performs. So I'm, I'm actually taking him to the human powered races this weekend
0: to, to sort of test his metal and see how fast he goes. Let's let's take a look at you riding Frank and uh, just give us your initial impressions, I guess.
4: Sure. So that's me cheating, rolling off a neighbor's drive just to get going. I can do, um, you know, normal starts. Um, but yeah, it's good. It's obviously a very aggressive stance and it, it took me a little while to work out the balance, but it's fine. Um, stiffening up the, uh, the front block, uh, what's it called? The bottom bracket it took a while. There's, there's, um, little metal plates just screwed in on the front to hold it in place but now I've managed to get that strong enough to actually take the full force. It's, it's fine. It goes, it goes well. And it, it goes downhill, like a, like a brick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's perfect. So, well, thanks a lot, Alex. Uh, I love the project. Uh, I think you've done a wonderful job with it and I appreciate you sharing it with the Laidback bike report. Oh, uh, thank you. I hope it inspires someone else to just have a go. You know, you know,
4: even if it's a rubbish bike, it's, it can just be your first one. So yeah. I, I, and it's a lot of fun and, you know, my kids loved it. Other kids in the neighbourhood love it. So it's it's a it's a fun project. Lovely. Thanks very much, Gary.
0: All right, and there he is, uh, Alex. Hi. Welcome. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Good, good. Thank you so much. I love that. Uh, I love Frank and what you did. Now, I, I think uh, before we leave, uh, for sure, we need to acknowledge that uh, beautiful orange streamlined uh, bike that you showed there. Uh, <laughs> mysterious, though, it was. it's uh, it, it actually belongs to uh, one of uh, our guests today. Uh, do you want to bring Barney up uh, for a second, Lars? Uh, Barney, uh, that was your bike, apparently? <laughs>
2: Yeah, that was my first um, serious racing bike. So it's a, a copy of a, a Velocraft NoCom that I built in plywood back in oh, 2007. Not yeah, that the, one. It was the orange <laughs> one, actually. Yeah. So... Right orange one, number 151. One. <laughs>
0: Very nice. Well, okay, Barney, I didn't want this to go by without uh, properly acknowledging you, because I know you probably would throw some sort
2: of copyright restriction on us. If I didn't no, no, didn't. The... I joined Alex's group when he set it up and sent him over pictures of various yeah, captions re- I've done.
4: I read your document with interest about That's how it. to go about designing it, and um, and I I I kind of wish I'd gone for a lower design with the um, the front wheel between your legs because I think it probably would be more aerodynamic and faster. But yeah. I, I suppose if if I build another one, I'll probably I'll, I'll aim for that level of quality. I think.
2: Uh, it was a shame not to see you at the weekends racing alex. yeah i was I gonna ask Alex
0: he had anticipated uh, making that trip so barney i'm gonna say goodbye for now we'll finish up with alex thanks pal uh alex so you in fact were not able to get to uh no powered um, uh race tell us what happened
4: uh yeah so as i mentioned in the video we we actually we're car free so we don't own a personal motor vehicle and um I rented an enterprise car club and got up on Sunday morning to find a text that said, your booking has changed. And I thought oh, I was, because I don't know if you guys know, but we're having a petrol crisis here. So you you can't buy petrol. And um, basically I went to my email and the change they had made to my booking was just to cancel it about two hours before I needed the car. Um, and th- there was nothing I could do-, do. I'd even considered using my cargo bike to push to the front of the queue and use a five-gallon sort of barrel to just buy petrol like that. But even if I'd done that though, it wouldn't work because enterprise wouldn't have let me take the car. It's, uh, it was, I was gutted, um, but yeah, that's that, I suppose that's life.
0: You'll, you'll have more chances, I'm
4: sure. So. <laughs> Anyways,
0: yeah. I'm gonna thank you. Any final thoughts uh, before I let you go, Alex?
4: No, no, just uh, just build stuff. It's fun. Uh,
0: I haven't died yet. So uh, I, I, it's all right, it's, it's hanging together. Very good. Alex, a pleasure talking to you, meeting you, you. and uh, we hope to see you again, pal.
4: Cheers. Bye. Okay,
0: take care. All right, folks. Uh Let's move along to our um, our Layback back Report review segments. Uh, we've got a couple here from, uh, first of all, Peter Stahl, who's going to show you how to fold one of his linears uh, and put it into a Honda Odyssey. Lars, let's take a look.
5: So, I want to put this <clears throat> linear long wheelbase in this Honda Odyssey and of course it'll fit in a Honda Odyssey easily because this car is much longer than the bike, right? But I checked the registration. This is a this car is less than a year old. And he doesn't want me to scratch anything. And the middle seats they move forward some but they don't they don't uh, come out easily or they don't tip up like some do. So it's going to have to go up over the center of the console, and he didn't want to scratch the console. So he generously offered to put his dog's bed there. Don't let his dog see this video. But we will not need that, because we have, we have a better solution. So I'm going to take the seat off this bike, which is relatively easy. And then I'll put him back in here so I don't lose it. You can still find it when you get back it. Yes, two six. Now, I'm going to fold the back of the frame and the front of the frame without removing the wheels because basically I'm lazy. So, I'm gonna take the steering linkage off. And traditionally, when I take the steering linkage off in a video, I throw it in the lawn safe landing <clears throat> Now, I fold the back of the frame Oh, wait, I hang the chain on the chain hanger Look, I remembered it this time Fold the back of the frame Fold the front of the frame Put the bike in the car And retrieve the spring leakage. Very important. And this end attaches to the fork. And this end of the flute tube with the holes attaches to the handlebar. See in this neat. Loose tight, loose tight. That goes right under there. The seat can go right down here. And there's still room for two people in the back seat. So you don't even, you don't even, you could bring your bike without folding it all the way and still have four passengers. And like I said, he's from Massachusetts. Thank you.
0: There we go. Thank you, Peter. And uh, I think we'll just jump right into the next uh, review here. Uh, And that's Joseph Janning from Germany, talking about the radical trailer and his Velmobiles. Lars?
6: Today, I'd like to talk about trailers. Let me just finish this, and I'll tell you more about this. Okay, so this is it. Now, I'm not a big fan of uh, trailers with um, three-wheel bicycles. Um, Mainly because uh, adding weight to the bike doesn't affect negatively in any way the stability of it. Um, In fact, I I think that that many uh, trikes or velomobiles actually ride better in certain ways uh, when they are loaded because they are just planted to the ground and it's it's a different feel to it. But, of course, there are reasons uh, to add a trailer. Um, and uh, uh, because of that, uh, it is good uh, to have the uh, possibility, at least, uh, to pull a trailer with a Velomobile. And that's what uh, uh, this uh, bolt is for. Um, here is the uh, um, hitch mount uh, at the uh, DF Velomobile, and I'll uh, explain a little bit more about that and uh, more about the trailer that I've been using on trikes and Venomobiles for the past, I think, 12 years um, in this video. Here you see the hitch ball uh, mount from the bike side from a different angle, Uh, and this is uh, how uh, it will then be attached uh, to the bike. Um, These are uh, options I use on my trike, this is on my mountain bike on the Velomobile, however, it's not that easy. Uh, you need a reinforcement uh, on the inside um, to uh, create uh, the stability because the shell is very thin. And here you see the added ring that is, has been laminated um, into the uh, sidewall as a reinforcement. And up there uh, you can see the hole that you've seen before. Unfortunately, it reduces the cargo space. Uh, Here you see me uh, mounting uh, the trailer hitch. Now, the main reason to put a trailer on a velomobile is um, the shape of the storage space in the velomobile. You will have to fit all your luggage in uh, small bags, and it should have a long um, and not too wide shape. Which, of course, is possible. Here you see my uh, first quest uh, in 2010 Uh, loaded with about 15 kilos of luggage on a two-week self-supported camping tour around Germany's north. Everything is inside. Now, what do you do when you have some bulky items that you cannot really put into that formula? And that's what a trailer is good for on a velomobile, for those occasions when you have to transport something uh, bulky um, that you can't really fit inside the velomobile. Now let's take a look at the trailer that I use. Uh, Essentially it is a duffel bag on wheels. So perfectly suited to transport luggage um, and for luggage to be transported inside. It doesn't take up much storage space and uh, is quickly assembled uh, fully as a trailer. Hooking up the trailer is easy. Uh, First fix the uh, the steel rope, a security rope, then Put the uh, hitch over the knob, push forward, and that's it. That's a secure connection. The reverse, pull back, uh, this. lift the uh, security cable, done. Now, this is an example um, of something, a bulky item that you can hardly store in the Velomobile. It's a free person tent fits easily in the trailer. Or, for another uh, purpose, uh, this is a, uh, a case of uh, water bottles. Uh, two of these cases uh, fit easily into the trailer. So you can uh, quickly reach the load limit of 40 kilos, which I recommend to keep. You see, um, um, a large errand run Uh, can easily be done uh, with this trailer and I've done that many times with the trailer. This trailer fits 100 meters of uh, storage and I've uh, put a couple of things in there including that big tent, a number of sleeping bags, uh, mats and what have you. Now, let's close it with a solid zipper and you can uh, adjust it further with these uh, straps. On top, you can also strap some things on. On here, um, you see here. Uh, there's two latches for um, a shoulder bag, a shoulder strap, um, and uh, there's also a handle here and there um, to uh, carry it. The Radical Cyclone also comes with uh, a rain cover. Put it over here and there. And in front here, it is secured around the tow bar. That's it. Another neat feature of this trailer is that you can uh, easily use it for hiking as well. Let me show it. I take the wheel off here and put it in the back position over here. Same on the other side. here I have a trailer which I can use to go hiking. Now Radical will provide you with a special hiking hitch, uh, which makes it much easier to uh, take this trailer along, Um, which I don't have, but you can get it. Now let's see uh, the trailer. Uh, in action. Here's an old picture from 2008. Actually, I have been using this trailer since, I believe, 2006 or so. Um, And uh, I've been pulling it mostly with my trike so I didn't have to use the rear rack on the trike. Uh, But sometimes I've combined rear rack uh, with uh, the Cyclone trailer. Here you see it uh, in another part of town. Uh, Very nice. I've uh, used it to haul the uh, bike of my granddaughter. And I've also discovered uh, that other people, like uh, Sören here from Denmark, are using the trailer with 20-inch wheels. And that's what I'm doing now. Here you see um, my DF with the trailer uh, with 20-inch front wheels from a velomobile mounted to it, carrying about, I think, 25 kilos of malt, um, which we got from another part of Germany um, to be used for beer brewing. And uh, I show you this uh, to demonstrate that you can go good speeds uh, with a loaded trailer uh, behind the Velomobile. The trailer will be very stable. Um, it, uh, the, the weight in the trailer um, uh, helps the uh, um, stability. But you should also be careful uh, when you uh, cross um, uh, rough roads and, and, and potholes. Uh, it will pull um, Uh, at the back of the velomobile quite substantially. And actually, it's the same with the trike. You can really feel uh, the pull of of a loaded trailer. Uh, So a bit of caution is in order. But you see here, riding at uh, uh, 35 plus kilometers an hour, uh, that is uh, what roadies do. And you do this uh, in a velomobile with a loaded trailer. So I think uh, you can actually uh, also go touring Uh, With uh, such a trailer, like my friend Søren from uh, Denmark, has done uh, a couple of times. Um, By the way, this other trailer is a is a home-built version with uh, 28-inch wheels. Uh, Looks very, very uh, uh, different from from mine. But yeah, my trailer is I think is is a pretty neat uh, addition um, uh, to the trike uh, and to the Velomobile. So I can recommend it from many years of experience. It's a well-designed, practical, and very durable uh, piece of equipment. If you want to know more, uh, go to RadicalDesign.com on the web. Uh, They are based in the Netherlands. The Cyclone trailer um, in its current uh, improved version sells for around 550 euros. Uh, And on their site, they have all sorts of accessories and spare parts that you can order uh, with this trailer to uh, um, fit it to your precise needs. So much uh, from uh, Velomobile Wonderland on uh, trailers and travels. Uh, Thank you for watching.
0: And thank you, Joseph. That was wonderful. Uh, and uh, my good pal Marco Ropers, who actually lives in the Netherlands. I think that, <laughs> I think that's the name of the town that uh, that Radical Designs in. I think that's what you mean by that, Marco. So thank you very much for that. Oh, is that a correction? Maybe. In any case, there we go. Thanks, Marco, and thank you, Joseph for uh, for that great review of the Radical Design trailer. All right, folks, let's uh, finish up here with our sponsors. And then we have a quick uh, viewer submission I wanna show you. So here are the folks that make this show possible every month. First of all, TerraCycle. From fairings to headrests, whatever accessory you need, Pat and crew have you covered and Trailside Trikes. If you find yourself in Florida, near the Withlacoochee Trail, or in Knoxville, Tennessee, check out Andrew's shop and his amazing crew. And Cruise Bike. Their patented race and record-proven front-wheel drive geometry changes the rules of cycling. Now, comfort doesn't come at the cost of performance. But fair warning, your cheeks may hurt from smiling. And... TerraTrike and Greenspeed Trikes. Your vision, whatever it is, TerraTrike has a trike to take you there. And Greenspeed cutting-edge designs create performance through Aussie ingenuity. And laid-back Cycles, the top USA dealer for TerraTrike and the premier source for CatTrike, Ice, and Greenspeed. We give you the freedom to ride. And Recumbent CycleCon. We've postponed the 2021 Recumbent Cycle Con, but please join us on October 8th and 9th, 2022, at the Montgomery County Fairgrounds in Dayton, Ohio. More info at recumbentcyclecon.com. All right, folks, let me uh, share with you a submission that we got from uh, a viewer john bloomhagen and john is an amazing fella who has undertaken a number of tours uh epic long tours on his trike uh, and this latest one which he just finished up a couple of weeks ago uh, he called the wi-fi peddlers 2021 mission possible tour so let me tell you what he said and i'll give you some specifics i think uh you will appreciate the hard work that went into all this Hey, Gary, I wasn't sure if you'd been following me, but just wanted to let you know that I did reach Alaska from Orlando on day 142, which was August 20th. Total mileage was 5,400 miles, and 700 miles of that was by ferry from Bellingham, Washington, to Kachikan, Alaska. I had to take that route because I could not get into Canada the third week of July when I was in Missoula, Montana, and visiting adventure cycling because Canada had shut down uh, the borders to any visitors, John. So uh, great tour, John. Uh, I'm going to post uh, John's uh, link. It's uh, thewifipeddlers.com. I'll post that. And guys, he has blogged every day of this trip, uh, and he's had lots of trials and tribulations. An amazing trip. Let me just finish up with some stats uh, that uh, that John has supplied. Total days to Alaska from Orlando is 143. Total days that I rode from one destination to another, exactly 100. Days I rested, recovered, repaired, and presented, 43 days. Average miles per day that I rode was 47. Greatest distance in one day was 88.1 miles. He did that twice on day 41 and 86. Days I rode over 70 miles, there were 13 of those fastest average speed day was day 113 he averaged 10.4 and the greatest elevation gain day was day 63 4,503 feet west to Council bluffs iowa so again if you want to find out a lot more about john's journey and the amazing work that he and his wife erlene do check out the wifi peddlers.com and again i'll post that you can see it there but uh we hope that you'll check him and erlene out. And as a reminder, we love your submissions. If you'd like uh, to have me uh, read a, a bit about what you've been working on or where you've been going, uh, send us some pictures and a little paragraph or two about what it's about and send it to laidbackbikereport at gmail.com. And we'll see if we can't uh, get you on our future show. All right, folks, uh, next Laid Back Bike Report will be November 7th at our typical 2 p.m. Eastern Time and uh, working on a number of things again. So we'll leave that as a to be announced, but I think you'll enjoy that show. Again, if you'd like to support the Laid Back Bike Report, we would greatly appreciate it if you would like us on Facebook, if you would subscribe to us on YouTube, if you would click that little white eye right there on the screen. Uh, take you to the Laidback box Report uh, webpage. You can find out a lot more about what we have done, what's coming up, uh, lots of info there. Uh, and uh, you can also uh, join our Patreon there. Uh, you can see all these folks here that you see that I'm pointing to, our Patreon uh, supporters. We love them and we really appreciate their monthly support. You can do so for as little as a dollar a month. So check us out on uh, patreon.com. Uh, or uh, click on the links in the description below. You can take it; it will take you there as well. All right, uh, Lars, can we bring uh, all our panelists and guests, whoever we have left here? I want to thank everyone quickly. We had a great show. We really enjoyed that, guys. Thank you all so much for uh, helping out. Uh, I thought it went really well. Lots of interesting builds and interesting stories. We even took to the air and. We took the air while we were on the air, I guess. So uh, thanks to all of my amazing guests uh, today. We appreciate your help and my panelists. Uh, We appreciate you, of course, every month. So thanks, guys. And finally, of course, I want to thank all of our wonderful viewers and our panelists, of course, uh, for watching us every month and supporting us in any way that you can. So until our next webcast from... All of us here at the Laidback Bike Report, so long, Bent Riders.